0: A correct diagnosis is three-fourths the remedy.
1: Welcome to Talk Therapy CDT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Interbalance Psychology Center. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Rafa. And join with me today is my co-host Anthony
0: Dana. How are you? I'm good. There's a fly in the room and I want to get it, but I'm going to I'm going to restrain myself. I have the swatter nearby. Okay. But he's really no pun intended bugging me. <laughs> so. He's irritating me. Anyway.
1: I'm kind of tuning him out.
0: Yes. Well, you know, that's why you're the psychologist and you know how to tune (laughs) things like that out. I I, I can't.
1: I can can sometimes do that. I
0: don't have that superpower.
1: Tuning people out and then listening to them? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we have a quote
0: today? Well, first, what's the subject matter today? What's the show title? Oh,
1: right. You want to
0: know what the title is. Yes. No, what they want to know. I know. I think you might know. We
1: got a combo. So it's Crash Course
0: on Diagnosis. So the quote for today's episode, Crash Course on Diagnosis is this one I found. And we're actually sharing this one because you liked it too.
1: Right. We were gonna transition for, like, he had a quote and then I had a quote, but we both like it, so yeah. we're
0: sharing. A correct diagnosis is three-fourths the remedy, and that was by this guy named Gandhi. Apparently, he's a big deal. His quotes
1: cool, are right. <laughs> they're, they're short and sweet into the pool. Right? Yeah. He's similar to, like, Buddha, you know, short and sweet to the point. Absolutely. All right, so do you want to maybe interpret this first and then I will, or what are you thinking?
0: It kind of reminds me of, uh, (laughs) I think, what what Ben Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure but in this regard, it's like not guessing, but if you know what's the problem, first, all, I mean, figuring out the problem and, and nailing it, you know, that according to Gandhi, three-fourths of the battle. Right. And then, you know, the diagnosis, at least we know what we're dealing with, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think that's what it means as well. Diagnosis is important to have the correct one. And I know we've talked about on previous episodes, the problem with incorrect diagnoses, specifically with ADHD, being overdiagnosed when it really is an anxiety disorder. So it's really important to get that. Now, sometimes we can still treat something similarly, regardless of the diagnosis, but having an accurate one is is definitely important.
0: right. So... What I have for you, Dr. Rafa, is a bunch of acronyms, and you are going to decipher these acronyms, and if anybody, anybody listening would like to play along and see if you know what these acronyms are, feel free. So the first acronym that I have, and oh, so there are three categories. Can you go into the categories? I can explain that, right? Yeah. So,
1: okay, so we have a Bible book <laughs> called the DSM, it's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And we are currently on fifth edition, came out in 2013. And the categories, diagnosis, diagnoses are categorized. And even in the book, they're categorized. So we're going to talk about anxiety disorders, and that's a category in and of itself, mood disorders, and personality disorders. Right. There's a ton more, but those are the ones we're going to focus on today.
0: Okay. And so the first acronym will be OCD.
1: Right, so this one is a pretty common one. People at home might know this one. It's obsessive compulsive disorder. So OCD is an anxiety disorder and it's characterized by both obsessive and compulsive behaviors. Obsessions are thoughts, compulsions are behaviors. They're often broken down into different types of OCD as well. There's the checkers, the one that have, ones that have to check the stove and the iron to make sure they're not turned off. There's the counters, the one that you know counts in their mind. They have to touch the doorknob a specific number of times. Oftentimes it's odd or even has to be eight times to check the the doorknob before they can walk out. There's OCD of uh, persecutory type, where people believe that they're being punished by God if they don't do certain things. (laughs) Yeah, so that's uh, another category. And mental exercises. So people will do counting in their minds even. So there's a kind that, like I said, you touch the doorknob a certain amount of times. But then there's ones that are where they count, like I had a patient come in once that counted all the corners in the room and she only wanted to be in a room where it was even, an even number of corners, which is tough. Yeah. You know, in the room I was in at the time, it was an angled ceiling, I think, and so it made her uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Franklin Delano Roosevelt had one of those, had a thing with the number 13. He wanted nothing to do with the number 13. If he was sitting at a table and, you know, with him sitting there, there are 12 people and somebody else came and and dragged the chair and sat at the table with them, he would realize that there are 13 people and then he would get, he would leave. I was going to say he'd get up and walk away, but he'd roll away. (laughs) But also he would not travel on, if he can help it, he was president, so he had to travel sometimes this day. But, Friday the 13th, he did not, uh, no, I think it was any Friday, he did not want to travel. Mm-hmm. And the number 13,
1: so it was, yeah,
0: so, yeah. Friday, 13th so the Friday 13th is really bad. Yeah, that would be... And of course, after when he was found dead, I forget where he was, somewhere down south, they transported his body on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's kind of ironic. Okay, so with obsessive compulsive disorder, how does that relate to or does it with... And most people who play sports can... Again, it's superstitious. Superstitions in sports. You know, you got a four-game winning streak and what have we been doing? Well, let's keep doing that. Listen, I wore these socks and... every 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 time I wear these socks and I don't wash them, we win. So Mm -hmm. guess what? I'm going to have smelly feet, whatever.
1: Yeah, true. There's an element to OCD where they are superstitious kind of ideas. The thing with OCD that's different from like a psychotic disorder like schizophrenia is that they are aware of what they're doing. They know that some of these beliefs are, are strange, you know, or bizarre, and they know that it doesn't really make sense, it defies logic, but they have to do it anyway. And sometimes these beliefs serve them. So that the key with any diagnosis, by the way, is um, it has to get in the way of someone's functioning in some way. So let's use OCD for an example. It's usually time. Like the rituals and the routines take up a lot of time, and now they're late for work or they're late for school. So
0: it's it's often that getting in
1: the way. So maybe there might be some people who are athletes that have OCD and perfectionistic tendencies, I'm sure.
0: I know a couple. All right, me too. All right, next one. PTSD. These are all, I'm going to go down the list. We have a a short list for each category. These are all for anxiety.
1: Right. These are the anxiety disorders that we decided to Mm -hmm. focus on today. Like I said, there's more, but... So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Most people are probably familiar with this, specifically with war veterans, you know, people that go to war come back with PTSD. After 9-11, there was a significant amount of PTSD from that tragedy. PTSD is it's experienced after a traumatic event. Um, usually a car accident, it could be abuse, it could be war, but honestly, I've seen people traumatized for other reasons. If they perceive something traumatic, it could be childhood trauma, relationship abuse or trauma. So it encompasses the trauma disorder. So the one hallmark feature of that is flashbacks and nightmares. So people who often have PTSD have a high level of hypervigilance. They feel like they're keyed up. And actually their brain, because of the trauma, is kind of on high alert. Uh, The cortisol levels are really high. The fire flight response is engaged. So they're always just on high alert often and they have triggers they've triggering events and situations and kinds of it's a noise um, i work worked with people who were in fires like firefighters and certain smells would trigger them they have rituals sometimes in a restaurant they have to sit a certain way to see the door that's often a possible safety measure they have to make sure no one can sneak up behind them so it encompasses trauma
0: with this diagnosis it Could be something from a long, long, long time ago and it's still there, it just may, sure.
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, hide beneath the surface and then come out, you know, randomly, right?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I've worked with people who have trauma history from 10 20 years ago, and the number one way to avoid these you know, symptoms is to exactly do that is to avoid. So, with an anxiety disorder of any kind, avoidance is a way to keep the symptoms under control. And then therapy, people don't like it, but exposure and response prevention and prolonged exposure actually keeps them from not avoiding.
0: So, again, this is something that being a history teacher and reading about and teaching about different wars, researching, and also my father, who was a World War II veteran, my mother and my father never told me this, but my sister did tell me that a few times. When my dad would wake up in the middle of the night in just a cold sweat and he'd like scream or yell and reliving something and then it was okay and, but like it scared you know the crap out of my mother and, and you know my brother and my sister at the time I don't think I was born yet I was 10 years later but for every veteran I've always thought if you were a veteran and especially you know if you were in combat it should be mandatory that you have you know, therapy, and that's not the case, or that's not always the case. You know, it's, it's,
1: a, it's actually frowned upon, you know, in the military to have that diagnosis. They can get it after they're discharged, but it's really hard to get good treatment, especially while they're in, got well, enlisted. you know, a lot of
0: there, they Sure. They really
1: does what they can with it, but they really don't even want to write that down. I mean, and they can't go back, or they have a PTSD diagnosis. They really can't? I don't think so. I don't think that's a good person to send in the war zone if he's traumatized or she's traumatized.
0: I mean, again, I'm looking at it from this perspective, like, well, they, they yeah, yeah, I mean, on, on some level they do, of course, even basic training, I mean, there's, sure, exactly, I'm only speaking of from what I've read and what, and certain people I've talked to, but it's a shame with the military, you know, we need them until, we don't need them anymore, and then it's, it's like, they have to figure it out, and sometimes they don't, and again, this is where we were talking about. During your first show, how psychology or therapy is looked upon as weakness or it's frowned upon.
1: Right, definitely, and especially for military men and women, you know they're trained to be tough mm-hmm. heroes, sure. and that shows a weakness that so you have PTSD and you now you know can't handle it. Like you, you need to be able to suck it up and handle it. And I've worked with a good amount of military patients, and they definitely hold on to that. I believe the Marines for sure.
0: Okay, next S A D.
1: <laughs> Sad, huh? Yeah.
0: Yes. Now, I know this one. You did? Well. I know one of the acronyms it stands for. Students Against Drunk Drivers. But that's That's S-A-D-D. Yeah, that's two Ds, yes. I think that's two Ds. Yes. I remember that. Oh No, no, no. and then there was Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. It was MAD. Uh, Because Mrs. Houghton was big on that. You remember? Yeah, Mrs. Houghton, physics teacher. Yes, yeah. We both went to the same high school, by the way, just to let you know. Yeah. Different years. I'm a little bit older. Right. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay.
1: Okay. S-A-D is used, actually it's used interchangeably. Some people think of it for seasonal affective disorder. I'm not thinking of it that way. I'm thinking of it as social anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about this before in previous episodes. The hallmark features of that is when someone has an extreme fear of humiliation, embarrassment, and criticism in social situations, so they avoid those social situations in order to you know, not feel on display. So the hard part about treating this diagnosis, this disorder, is convincing people to go out to do things. And one of the techniques in CBT is testing assumptions. So one of the things we cannot test is what people think. We cannot read their mind. So we can go to that party and ask someone at that party, hey, do you think I'm an idiot? And most likely they're gonna say, because of social etiquette, no, they're not, even if they actually think it. So it's really hard to convince people with social anxiety disorder that people aren't thinking bad thoughts about them even if they checked with that person.
0: So this is easier said than done, but a lot of dealing with people with SAD is part of the therapy trying to convince them. They don't think of you because so many times people think that, oh, they're thinking of me. They're No, they're really not. Nobody's thinking of you as much as you'd like to think they are.
1: That's one of the features, by the way, of all the anxiety disorder is they're all egocentric. Right. Not necessarily in a narcissistic way. But just, it's all about me, like the imaginary audience. Right, that, sure. You know?
0: Like right now, there's, uh, that person is thinking of me. I know they are. Yeah, and, like
1: yeah. they're that important. Right, exactly. <laughs> like they're noticing what you're wearing. or yeah. you know. But on, yes, you're right.
0: But then on the flip side, it's like, who cares what anybody thinks of you except for you? Right. Well, that's a beautiful thought, and we all like to you know, right. believe in that, but with somebody who has this anxiety, it's easier said than done.
1: It is. So that's the first part is convincing them that to go to that party, and I thread his values, which is acceptance commitment therapy based, look, like it's a good idea to go to that party because you really care about your family, your friends. It's a value of yours to you go. You're going to feel more anxious, and I have people rate a before, during, and after. Of course, you're going to have anticipatory anxiety. So convincing people to do any of the homework, exposure, and response prevention work is the beginning, you know, besides having a diagnosis, obviously, convincing them that it's worth it. And they could experience an increased level of confidence and decreased doubt. Because, again, what are these people doing? Avoiding. And now with COVID, they got to avoid and be behind screens and turn off the camera. Sure.
0: Right. I don't know how many Zoom meetings I used to have. And I'm like, why can't I see? Like, they don't want to be seen.
1: Yeah, teenagers do that. (sighs) That's actually a homework assignment for one of the kids I see next Time you need, you have to turn
0: the camera on? I had my son's IEP meeting and there were a couple of supervisors that weren't even in school that are home. And I'm like, well, can I even see what you know, what are you you're piled up in bed? What are you doing? Anyway, that's another whole ball of wax. Alright, G A D. So this is the last on our short list for anxiety. And like you said, there are plenty. Yeah, right. There's definitely a lot.
1: We there's phobias, we're not into those. But so this is Gad. I talk with patients, one couple in particular, about getting out, so we kind of have a joke about it, but it's generalized anxiety disorder. So these are the worry warts. These are the people who worry about everything. You're going to the airport and they're sitting next to you so worried about the what ifs, what if they lose my bags, what if the plane crashes, what if, what if, what if. They get stuck with that and catastrophizing. They might have health anxiety under this. They're just like the worry warts that you, you may notice. That's, I would say, the defining feature. It isn't one specific worry like OCD. They might have a specific, you know, obsessive compulsive belief. These individuals have... A lot of worries about just
0: globally, just all the time. Is there a correlation to age? Because I know my mother would. Again, well, I'm her son, so she's just worried about me all the time. Don't go into the city. Mm -hmm. They're killing each other. Don't go to Philly. Don't do this. Don't do that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Older generations, you know, classic, like, Italian grandparents would do that. Like worry about everything. And usually it's safety concerns, safety worries about something happening to your loved ones. Maybe they're sitting by the window waiting for you to come home because they are convinced themselves that you were in a car accident. So, <laughs> yeah, they're falling all the time trapped underneath something heavy, I can see it. Well that's it. Yeah. yeah. That's the catastrophizing cognitive distortion. You're dead on the road somewhere and it's you know, it's possible I guess, but it's it's very <laughs> unlikely that you probably just went to work and got <laughs> stuck in traffic. That's why you're late. You're not, you know, piled under a mess of cards.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving right along, we have a a shorter list for mood. So the first one for mood. These really aren't acronyms. So we looked at them. Right. Okay. The first one can be put into an acronym MDD.
1: Right. So that is major depressive disorder, and there's different types of there's recurrent episode, single episode, there's you know mild, moderate, severe. So yeah, we use it as MDD and major depressive disorder could be also related to substance abuse due to a general medical condition, so there's a lot of like qualifiers, specifiers that go along with that. That isn't just on SAD, because we all get sad. You have to have, I believe, five out of the nine criteria for a major depressive episode. It's every day for two weeks. It's SAD, having just no energy, maybe crying, it really is again, has to impact one's functioning. You're laying on the couch not really going to work or home, may have suicidal thoughts. They have something called psychomotor agitation or retardation. So that's basically saying they're not really doing much. And they have a lot of negative beliefs, obviously, about themselves, worthlessness and hopelessness. It isn't just I'm sad because my girlfriend broke up with me. It really has to get in the way of functioning every day for two weeks. So we have scales to measure for that.
0: And then this is the one that people like to throw around. Very loosely, everybody's a dime store therapist when they like to, you know, throw this generalization onto people. Oh, he's so bipolar. Mm -hmm. You're bipolar. I can be bipolar sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's used in that way to try to explain behavior. So bipolar disorder used to be called manic depression back in the olden days. And then I think in, I don't know, off the top of my head, DSM-3 maybe, 70s, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. They change it to bipolar disorder, and that has to be two things have to happen. There has to be a manic episode or a hypomanic episode, and it has to last for at least a week, and that is when there is pressured speech, someone has a decreased need for sleep. Also, they're just, you know, have a flight of ideas, like all these grandiose ideas of what they want to do in life, and it's just like a really opposite of depression type of mood. It's an expansive, elevated mood, and it has to last seven days to count for a manic episode. A hypomanic episode lasts for a shorter period of time, like four days or so, and it's not as severe as a manic episode. There's two types of bipolar disorders, bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. Bipolar 1 criteria is you have to have at least one manic episode. Often, it is followed by a major depressive episode, so you see those mood swings, although in order to be diagnosed with bipolar 1, you actually do not have to have a depressive episode. You can just have mania. Bipolar 2 is the same thing, having a manic episode. It could be a hypomanic episode. So it's that shift in mood, you know, and it's just the opposite of the manic episode. They crash and then shift into a depressive mood. And this is chemical and organic. It's thought to be on a spectrum of how bipolar is. is someone, so that's the new thinking about it that it is on a spectrum as opposed to just
0: categorical. Yeah, so with all of these diagnoses, we can do a show on each one.
1: In and of itself.
0: Yeah, especially this one, but yeah, others as well. And so if that's something that you're interested in, please reach out through email and, you know, we take requests. So, you know, hey, I want to hear more about PTSD. I want to hear more about bipolar or uh, whichever one that you're interested in. All right. So moving on to the last category, which is personality.
1: All right. So you have some acronyms.
0: All right. So for personality, let's start off with OCPD.
1: Obsessive compulsive personality disorder. This is not the same as OCD, which is the anxiety disorder we spoke of earlier. This is a personality disorder. So all of the personality disorders, by the way, are pervasive. They are chronic. It's someone's personality type, you know, to a degree. But there's no cure. Someone doesn't just stop being OCPD. And the hallmark feature of this diagnosis is typically being very militant, disciplined. There is some perfectionism that comes along with it, liking things in a certain order they could be really annoying people (laughs) because they try to be very controlling (laughs) it looks a little like OCD like they want to have the shoes a certain way in the house or like the tissue box a certain way and it doesn't cause them anxiety per se it just doesn't feel right they'll often say this is the way the right way the wrong way to do things they're very black and white very concrete black and white types of
0: people but, but they're doing that for themselves they know what makes them tick so it's just annoying to be around these people well
1: all of the personality disorders, one of the diagnostic criteria is they have difficult interpersonal relations with others. So yes, I mean, okay, so think of it this way. Think of it if it's a father with his family and if he needs to have the house a certain way just because I said so kind of thing. And they're very inflexible. Part of the therapy with them is to help them be more flexible and spontaneous. They have to have plans. You know, they're very rigid. They have a lot of rigidity. So that he could be difficult to be around his friends or his family members because we can't go to the picnic until all of these things are done in this order.
0: So if you say to this person on a whim, hey, I've got an idea. Let's just drive to Pennsylvania and there's this ice cream place that's amazing and randomly just do that and be impulsive. They're just going to look at you like you have three heads or just not be in their comfort zone.
1: Mm-hmm. They also don't like to be late. That's another problem. Like being late somewhere is the end of the world. But yeah, they typically, again, so this is just generally, don't like to be spontaneous. Things have to be very organized and planned with them. So they can make good employees sometimes. Yeah.
0: And also, like you said, I mean, if uh, the military, I mean, that, that's, you mm-hmm. know, they, they love that. Yeah. Imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they trend towards certain professions too. And by the way, people with personality disorders, there are individuals who can have traits of OCPD or traits of the other ones that aren't they don't meet full criteria.
0: Okay next acronym BPD.
1: Hmm. So this is not bipolar disorder this stands for borderline personality disorder which is very different so but one of the things you mentioned before was about bipolar disorder um, how people just throw that around and that's a mood disorder that's typically triggered by just chemically or just out of the blue type of thing people just become manic personality disorders are very different like i said they're pervasive borderline personality disorder it's very hard sometimes to diagnose between bipolar and borderline to be pretty adept at it
0: and what border are we talking about madonna's borderline what
1: borderline are we talking about about? so the reason they came up with the name for this was it is the borderline between psychosis and neuroses so that is like they're teetering in between the two and these individuals the hallmark feature is abandonment they have interpersonal difficulties with others but they have issues with real or imagined abandonment now this could range from you cancelled our dinner plans oh my god you abandoned me to actual abandonment this person doesn't want to be my friend or they broke up with me or someone died
0: could it be You said real or imagined but does it always stem from something real that happened that makes them act like this where now they're just like they got a chip on their shoulder and they're waiting for somebody to
1: yeah 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 so that's another thing too is they can be very intense they're very dramatic individuals typically stems from trauma Not always. Statistically, I think it's pretty high. Maybe I don't remember reading 70 percent of people diagnosed with BPD have a trauma history. It doesn't mean if you have trauma, you're going to develop BPD because there's genetic components as well. But because they're so intense, they end up pushing people away and people do end up abandoning them because it's self-fulfilling prophecy at that
0: A young Will Hunting had this take place when he's an orphan, and his issue was he didn't want to get into a relationship because why? Why bother? Because they're so worried about rejection or so worried about abandonment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preoccupied with with rejection, and they go to extreme lengths to avoid that. Now, they can be intense with attention-seeking behavior. They can have cutting behavior, suicidality. You broke up with me. I'm going to kill myself. There's that.
0: Lights with the kid who picked on him in kindergarten. <laughs> uh, on the yeah.
1: Ground. yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, and yeah. again, they have interpersonal difficulties. So, the way in which, by the way, uh, circling back for a minute to diagnostic, the way in which you can kind of tease out the difference between, like I said, a mood disorder just happens. These are often, these episodes are the mood, the Jekyll and Hyde type of presentation is often triggered, or almost always, should I say, should I say, by an interpersonal difficulty. People don't just have a manic episode because their boyfriend broke up with them. That doesn't happen. It's not what it is typically triggered by. So, yeah, and they vacillate between, you know, mood swings. They have irritability, very dramatic. And within that, there's high-functioning, low-functioning
0: BPD as well. I don't have time to Google vacillate. What does vacillate
1: mean? Go back and forth between, <laughs> like seesaw, back and forth.
0: All right. And that's and, and there's a little lesson for you. That's what I tell my kids in class. What does that word mean?
1: Ask oh questions. Boy. Google it. Yeah, right.
0: I love it, because there's a word or something I don't know what it means. I'll just Google it and then I'm like, ooh, okay. The more you know. Okay. Um, ASPD is next on my list here.
1: Antisocial personality disorder. So it's kind of a misnomer, like ADHD. Antisocial, we think of someone who's just not really social. You know, like they're just social introverts or maybe they have social anxiety. This is formally known as sociopathic personality disorder. And it's one and the same, basically. These are the people who obviously are at the extreme end of personality disorders with the, they have no empathy, they lack guilt. Actually, their brain is different than an fMRI studies. Their brains show different activity in the amygdala, the emotion limbic system, the emotion center, where they don't have the capability to experience empathy. Serial killers, like serial killers, yeah. So statistically, one in twenty-five people meet criteria for antisocial personality disorder. It doesn't mean they're going to go kill somebody. They may have thought about it, but they could be on the spectrum. Have we all? Sorry. Have we? Oh. No. Not at all. <laughs> Never. No. So they've thought about it and they derive pleasure from hurting other people, you know, like they really want to inflict pain, you know, emotional pain and they have no conscience, they have no no empathy at all. So they provoke others and they exploit others for their own personal gain and power.
0: Yeah, every time I hear antisocial it's like, oh, so, you know, because my brother doesn't like routes And so so that, yeah. okay, that's what that means. But no, it's.
1: No, yeah. no. And it's it comes from antisocial, meaning defying social norms, you know, and that's one of the criteria as well. So don't so. get the
0: two confused, boys and girls.
1: Yeah, you want to call somebody that, and they know what it is. So, <laughs> right.
0: all right. And finally,
1: last but not least, the grand
0: poobah of personality disorders. Yeah. NP. D mm-hmm. Go.
1: This is narcissistic personality disorder. I'm very familiar with this diagnosis in my work. This is, you know what? It's not the same as Adonis admiring himself or his Hollywood celebrities being glamorous. That is narcissistic to a degree. This is actually underneath the grandiosity and the bragging type, you know, of individuals and is this inferiority belief. I am, you know, not good enough and they overcompensate by being superior. They're the Greatest at everything, they can be know-it-alls. They also are on a spectrum as well of different types. So there's a seductive type, there's a bullying type, there's a know-it-all type, there's also an aggressive type, which kind of borders on antisocial personality disorder.
0: So deep down, they really do believe that they are a piece of crap, whether that was conditioned by their parents or Mm -hmm. growing up or their siblings. But deep down inside, if they, if you could break through to the surface, which you know, again, would take a long time. Well,
1: prognosis is very poor for any personality disorder, especially this one. Right. Okay. They don't go to therapy. They will sometimes show up. Why would they? They'll show up if they're court ordered. They'll show up because they want to complain about their spouse, but their insight is very poor. There is schema therapy that was developed for personality disorders that has some effectiveness and was born from CBT actually, but they project onto others how they feel. It's like looking in a mirror. They'll tell you, you feel a certain way when they actually feel that way.
0: if anybody were to even if you were a psychologist to either hint that they have narcissistic tendencies
1: people throw that word around too yeah yeah i've had narcissists in therapy challenge me my credentials asking me questions about my phd and quizzing me on freud and young and you know so
0: Well, (laughs) their best best defense is a good offense no i'm not a narcissist you're a narcissist
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's if that. you try yeah, actually that's in the literature as well. No, I'm not. yes you would if I am, you are. Okay. It's very
0: schoolyard. <laughs>
1: it is very schoolyard. <laughs> that's thrown around as well in this culture, narcissistic culture. He's so really into himself. And it's very different for an N P D diagnosis than someone who just loves themselves. It's they're deeply disturbed individuals, you know, and again it could be very antisocial and pathological in their behavior. And like I said, yes, underneath is the inferiority complex.
0: Okay, so if I was going to make an Evil person cocktail. Uh-huh. Which I, would, ones you uh, I would add, you know, in the bar of evil, not really well thought out. Mm-hmm. I can come up with better slogans later. One half narcissist and one half antisocial personality disorder, and combine those two together. Mm-hmm. And then you basically have two super evil right? super villains i mean yeah <laughs> super i mean that's you know
1: you know and i want to say without looking it up and on google at the moment that generally people have only one personality disorder it's very i don't think you can have two i might be wrong on that but yeah like a cocktail would be would it be that with some borderline tendencies oh so yeah you got some Oof. some villains cooking. It's terrible. <laughs> uh-uh.
0: All right. Now, okay, we have 12 patients in the waiting room. We're going to play a game. You're going to give your diagnosis. Okay. All right. So the first patient is Tony Soprano. Mm.
1: Well, I would say antisocial personality disorder being said he was a murderer. I would say that most likely that would be a good fit for him. I know that he went into therapy with panic disorder, but I would say that fits for him.
0: Okay, somehow Dr. Melfi missed that or just <laughs> Dr. That. Melfi,
1: I don't know. Well, she knew eventually, right? Didn't he disclose to her what he did for a living? Not waste management.
0: Yeah. Also, I mean, she reads the papers, right? <laughs> true, true. And, and some, some of these are a bit obscure. Obviously, Tony Soprano isn't, but others that need explaining it well. The next is, I think, somewhat of a typical household name. Monica Geller. And if you have been living under a rock, she is uh, Cordy Cox from Friends.
1: So this one, people tend to think of OCD. However, I was in a workshop once and we were talking about personality disorders and I would say OCPD because there are certain clips on the show where she would say, it just doesn't feel right to have the room a certain way. And, yeah, that goes along with OCD, but she was very controlling. She had to have things the right way and the wrong way. So I think she's a classic example of OCPD.
0: Third patient, Mr. Dexter Morgan. Hmm,
1: from Dexter. Okay, this one is definitely antisocial personality disorder. Spoiler alert, he kills people on the show. He is a serial killer of serial killers, So he's doing good by killing other serial killers with his code. But he, in in fact, does kill people. So sociopathic, I'd say. But is it such a bad thing? (laughs) He's saving the justice system. He makes sure they're guilty of sin. True. Because he works forensic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he also works in forensics. So the blood spatterer guy, I guess technically he's a little bit vigilante like Batman you want to think of (laughs) that and he does get rid of the evidence well so we you know it's waste management you know
0: okay Okay, next up is one that most of you will find obscure but you know who this person is once i explain who she is so alex Forrest. Mm -hmm. she is played by glenn close in fatal attraction
1: hmm. So. So the doctor diagnosing this person. Borderline personality disorder. She had real and perceived abandonment. Now she was having an affair with Michael Douglas, right, on the show. And she went ballistic when he broke off the affair where someone who is healthier psychologically would be sad, you know, but she went to extreme lengths to avoid abandonment by this man and, you know, killing his rabbit. So, yeah, and they will go to extreme lengths to avoid abandonment. I would say that is a, an extreme length to avoid abandonment.
0: I love the line. I forget Michael Douglas's character's name, but just, I won't be ignored.
1: Yeah, see, there you go, right? That's classic, like, and that's really what borderlines say. I will not be ignored no matter what. I will make you pay attention to me somehow.
0: Oh, again, again, going off script quick um and wedding crashers what's the redhead's name with Vince Vaughn when she was uh bending up his knee yeah yeah don't ever try to write what did she
1: yeah. say huh? um gosh I, I quote her all the time she, I'll find yes I'll find you, find she, you. it's <laughs> a terrifying voice yeah she she has that little squeaky and she's uh, so little and petite yeah. she has this voice because I find
0: yeah, okay. Um, next up, we have Adrian Monk from the show Monk.
1: Mm-hmm. This is classic presentation of OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. He has a lot of different obsessive or obsessions and compulsions. He does the cleaning and the checking, I think. He does both. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, that was a softball, a uh, slow-pitch softball. That was an easy uh, one there. A lot of these are for you, but that one, more, mm-hmm. that one, you know, a lot of people playing along were like, I got that one. hmm Next one, Dom Draper.
1: Mm-hmm i that mad Okay. So this handsome fella <laughs> is a NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. He was grandiose. He was a know-it-all seductive type, obviously had affairs. He did have a trauma history to a degree, and a lot of personality disorders tend to, but I would say he was exploitative and manipulative in his behavior with men and women, honestly.
0: Next up, Suzanne Kaysen, who was played by Winona Ryder
1: mm-hmm. and
0: Girl Interrupted.
1: Right. So this was also, this diagnosis was a disgust in- in the movie when she broke into her the office and saw the files and the file cabinets her patient charts and she was in my opinion accurately diagnosed as borderline personality disorder again the abandonment she had a suicidal attempt which people diagnosed with bpd will have that in their history as well the low functioning ones so um that would be the best fit for her
0: all right pat Soltano, played by bradley cooper in the silver linings playbook
1: that is bipolar disorder i think they even talk about it in that book if i recall that he had um i think he went to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and was diagnosed with bipolar and had manic episodes and then I depressive remember. episodes uh,
0: wasn't there a song that uh-huh. was a trigger he played in the waiting room just to see if it was still gonna oh right it's oh, kind of cruel <laughs> <I understand> what,
1: <laughs> like to what, trigger what, him on yeah, purpose I understand yeah
0: why he was doing it but even i was like oh man
1: yeah, I, I remember that, Yep. Okay.
0: okay. Randall Pearson from This Is Us by Sterling K. Brown.
1: Okay. So this character depicts generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder, actually, because by the way, sometimes when people have anxiety disorders, there could be co-occurring diagnosis as well, comorbidity. So panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder.
0: Okay. Next up, our 10th patient. So the room's almost empty now. I hope everybody's mm. behaving themselves
1: I mean, the waiter, pretty different. noisy out there. Wow. They're all hanging out there. you got
0: Tony Soprano and yeah. Dexter.
1: I, I they mean, can it <laughs> gets crazy. Chew the and
0: fat. Alex <laughs> Forrest is uh, nobody to be uh, reckoned but, with. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> all right, let's see. Okay, we have Jackson Maine from A Star is Born, and yes, another Bradley Cooper sighting.
1: Yeah, he does some, you know, good dramas, obviously, depicting mental illness pretty boys
0: can be good actors too
1: yeah right major depressive disorder and he also had substance abuse clearly and committed suicide at the end so definitely major depressive disorder
0: okay here's one for you i had to put him in the mix george costanza Uh,
1: george costanza i
0: don't don't have to tell you the show he's from because we all yeah from yeah we'll we'll say say it for
1: well we can say it for the gen z's out there if they don't know Seinfeld from Seinfeld. So, yeah, we had this conversation, actually. So I would say that he was a worry wart. so there was some generalized anxiety that was there, you know. However, I'd say the predominating <laughs> diagnosis was narcissistic personality disorder. You know, it was all about him all the
0: time. But then I think you even said when, when i brought him up all of them all.
1: <laughs> i think all of
0: the characters all were four
1: of yeah kramer not so much i don't know yeah kind of but i would
0: say narcissist by association
1: Maybe the four of them, like they would sit in the diner and it was hilarious just, for sure, but it was always like hang together. Can't congregate like that? No, or they uh, sort of. I think they get, in, it depends on the narcissist. They can sure. get in each other's way and compete for attention. But I've seen people together that are narcissistic or OCPD people they can, they can that marry nice. a narcissist or like, I don't know. I used to joke about like two personality disorder. Like what is a narcissist and a, a borderline make? Well, they they can create an ocpd baby <laughs> so this personality disorder <laughs> runs in the families all right last but not least last but have. not
0: least and this poor guy had to sit in this waiting room for so long with all these he's trying to get his diagnosis these, uh yes because he is of course he's royalty for crying out loud king george the sixth from the King of speech, played by Colin Firth.
1: Mm, good one. All right, so that poor man was sitting in our waiting room, and he has social anxiety disorder. He's <laughs> sitting out there in the waiting room with all these with people, this with this current yeah motley crew out there.
0: This could, you know this can <laughs> gonna... be a fun game we just do every time. Like this, I can just come up with it. The
1: waiting room 12, game. Twelve. Oh, god. Waiting I. room.
0: And we can play. Okay, today we're gonna play waiting room. And, <laughs> You know. Right. Right. All right. I,
1: right. So that just about does it for our long show today. So I just want to tell everyone, thanks for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. You can also find our podcast, Talk Therapy CBT on Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, and other major distributors. So you can check us out there. Remember to email us if you have any questions, info at innerbalancepsychology.com or any kind of feedback from our our show as well as suggestions for other episodes because we're always open to ideas and remember to stop it and give yourself a chance. i Dr. Dawn Raffa signing off.